There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome into another edition of the Tim McKernan Show on the Inside STL Podcast Network. I am your host, Timothy Michael McKernan, alongside Gangster Pete, who is known as Young Jamie. Is that right? That's Little right. Jamie? Thank you very much. Uh, I'm in Jupiter, Florida, in the HomeLoanExpert.com studios, home of St. Louis Cardinal Spring Training Baseball, and uh, this week, the Honda Classic, uh, and following... This uh, questions from the audience podcast. I will be entering. Oh, too many lineups are we entering? Around 220 lineups <laughs> for the Honda Classic, um, and uh, and we're we're bullish this week on great things with our uh, daily fantasy sports uh, conglomerate. So we'll see if we can we can make magic. We have added uh, some more knowledge, and hopefully we will uh, have great results. But. Uh, a lot of Cardinal discussion. Always welcome golf discussion. This week's interview, if you've not enjoyed it, Dexter Fowler with us on the Tim McKernan Show, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, always sponsoring our guests. And want to thank all of our sponsors for making everything possible, whether it be TMA, whether it be InsideSTL.com, whether it be the Hot Stove Show with me and Dan McLaughlin or the Tim McKernan Show, which brings you a guest every week and questions from the audience every week. And when football rolls around, back to... Uh, our Pick 6 podcast, which hopefully made you money over the past six, seven months. And those sponsors are Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, PGA National, uh, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Mike Judy of MikeJudyPresents.com, and Design Air Heating and Cooling online at DesignAirService.com. And, of course, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, Johnny Landoff Chevrolet at Highway 270, and the Washington Elizabeth exit all of these companies make the podcast possible we have seen a a substantial amount of growth over the last uh, year with the number of downloads the word is spreading i love doing the podcast love doing the interviews Uh, i know we have alex reyes coming up uh who i interviewed over at the cardinal spring training complex and i love doing questions from the audience kind of uh, the wandering mind expanding at least for me hopefully it is for you uh, hour, hour and a half of fielding questions and then just going on a variety of different tangents. I enjoy it. So um, while I'm down in Jupiter, Florida, uh, of course I live with my my wife and my son, but I also live with my in-laws who have been here with us. Oh, I guess we got here on January 23rd and it's February 26th and I think they've been here for almost all of the time we've been here. And then my parents will be coming down in maybe three weeks or so, give or take. Um, And so to have the home where I record everything, the home studio, to myself, I can now soak in the silence, the aloneness, which I enjoy, and and just spout knowledge. So uh, the questions, uh, getting them always, and they're welcome, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com or the TMA fan page. And it could be anything, anything. I still, still have yet to receive a question via email. Now, sometimes people like to kind of peacock and stir the pot on the fan page. 
but I'm talking about where it's one-on-one, and they're not looking for the attention and the approval of of uh, social media clicks, looking for a question to be answered that they think, I don't think he'll ever answer this, but I'm going to take a chance. Haven't gotten one yet. So there, I've issued the challenge. I feel like I've issued the challenge multiple times. I'm waiting for like somebody like, hey, you short, bald motherfucker, what about this? Yeah, how do you like me now? I told you I could ask you something that would piss you off. There, fine. There it is. The challenge is it's fine. So I'm encouraging all questions. Now, I might not be able to answer them, or I might go, wow, that actually did. I will never ask for something mean-spirited or open-ended again uh, because it rattled me to my core. But that my point in bringing this up is, listen, it's a free-for-all. It's a podcast. We can say whatever we would like to say here. So if you have something you want to have answered or even discuss because you know once other people listen or lead to a train of thought for upcoming episodes, fire away. T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com or post on the TMA fan page. But the reason I put the email out there is oftentimes people want to uh, have their privacy uh, or they know that on the fan page you can kind of get ganged up on and uh, especially – uh, if you ask a certain kind of question. So if you want to ask something in private, fine, e- email. But I try to split the ones with the emails and then with the ones on fan the fan page uh, and, and tend to both. We have once again here today questions from the audience as we broadcast from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. Ryan Kelly, our studio sponsor online at the HomeLoanExpert.com. Homes have increased in value so much over the last few years. Take advantage of the equity you have in your home and do a cash-out refi and take care of the debt you may have on credit cards and utilize the equity you have here in your home. That's what they can do for you at Ryan Kelly. His staff's phenomenal. They're online at thehomeloanexpert.com. Ryan Kelly, whether you're buying a home or refinancing, it's thehomeloanexpert.com, the studio sponsors of the Tim McKernan Show. All right, I'm going to start with the TMA fan page today, and let's see what we got. Um... Are you going to get a chance to sit down with Mo, John Mazalak, near the close of spring training similar to last year? Although sometimes banty about your hashtag skills, his measured takes on the Cardinals and Major League Baseball are always a delight. Uh, yes, I do plan on doing that. Here is kind of what I'm thinking, and again, I'm speaking to you on February 26th, and I know, uh, or 27th, and I know a lot of people, um, well, I don't want to say I know a lot of people, but I see questions from the audience. Downloads increase over time, so it's not like they only listen listeners only listen to them uh, the week they come out. You know, I mean, oftentimes they're kind of evergreen. Uh, Or you can go back and listen to them and go, wow, you were really, really wrong about that topic. But as I speak to you on February 27th, Dexter Fowler is our interview this week. Uh, Alex Reyes is already done. I'm hoping to get Yadier Molina. He told me he would uh, sit down um, and do a conversation. Um, Mike Schilt and John Mazalak would be the others that I'm looking forward to doing and then hoping to get some golf interviews. I know Iggy said he is working on that uh, while I'm down here since so many of the guys live within, you know, we're at PGA National, which is where the Honda Classic is. And one of the reasons why they're able to get a a good field, uh, especially with the weird schedule this year, is because so many of the players live around here. Although this year, the field for the Honda Classic is so down from last year it's such a bad beat and that's because the pga tour was just in mexico well the wgc was just in mexico tour was in puerto rico um 
And then Arnold Palmer's event is the week after uh, this one. And then you have the Players' Championship now in March. And so a lot of guys, Tiger, Rory, uh, Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Dustin Johnson, are using this as their week off. And it's just a bad beat for the Honda because last year the field was so sick. And you still have Kepka, Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowler. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you still have three of the top ten in the world. But just a different uh, deal. And it's just the new schedule with the PGA Championship moving to May and the PGA's uh, moving the Players' Championship to, to March. The Honda got the short end of the stick. Um, but either way, because these guys live around here, hoping to get a couple of them while I am uh, here. Uh, but with regard to the Cardinals and Mazalak, yes, absolutely. Toward the end of spring training, looking forward to that conversation. His tone is uh, one that I personally find fascinating because I know like 90% of the time he's being a smartass, and I enjoy that. But when you're being a smartass and your audience or a healthy portion of your audience is unhappy with you, then it can like irritate the audience even more. So... That's one of the things that I know we'll talk that we do talk about on TMA, which is the Cardinals as an organization and or specific members of the organization. And I know John Mazalak is one that would probably be named the most in it uh, in the Plowhawk talking about. But it's not he's not the only one being tone deaf on some things. Personally, I like it. We have a good rapport. Um, he just I'm anxious. I'm anxious. I'm really anxious to hear what he has to say when we talk about Bryce Harper, because I'm assuming anyway that by the time that we have our conversation at the end of spring training, Bryce Harper will be on a team, and I'm looking forward to hearing what he says about that. You know, as I'm sitting here having this conversation with you, Nolan Arenado just signed his extension with the Rockies, and I think for some Cardinal fans, um, the thought was, well, no Machado, no Harper, but... Ozuna will be a free agent. Don't know what's going to happen with Goldschmidt. They're so fluid with their their contracts that maybe the focus is Arenado. And I think it, I think it was. I do. I, not their focus, but I think it was something that they were locked in on as a real potential option. And so for Cardinal fans going, okay, it's not going to be Machado. Doesn't sound like it's going to be Harper. Who knows? Certainly doesn't sound that way, but I hate to talk about things sounding that way, but this is based on my conversation with Bill DeWitt, not me reading a social media post. Um, And they're not getting Bryce Harper based on that, and now Arenado's gone. I think Cardinal fans are looking at the free agent landscape and question marks after the 2019 season and going, what are they going to do? And then there's the element of, you know, will the Cardinals be willing to spend like uh, other organizations have to get premier free agents to St. Louis. And then I've talked about the, the fan base, the part of the fan base being pissed off that they think the organization's cheap. And then I think something that I think is a huge part of it but just isn't really discussed. Well, I don't know that's not discussed anywhere else because it's not like I'm listening to other shows around St. Louis. But I think one of the big issues with this is a self-esteem issue and it might even be subconsciously for some St. Louis area fans who want to see a free agent choose St. Louis as opposed to get traded to St. Louis where they didn't make the choice for St. Louis. So these are my theories. Um, personally, I am not of the opinion that the Cardinals are cheap, um, and so I would have really enjoyed them signing one of the big free agents this offseason because that would have just put that to bed 
it's 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 almost like uh, God. I don't know because I was going to use a political example, and then I lose a portion of the audience, probably a larger portion of the audience, if I were to go with that example. Um, but oh, fine, I'll do it. Who fucking cares? <laughs> like the Barack Obama birth certificate thing. It's like okay, just fucking show the birth certificate so we can end this because it's just so just bleh, just so just ah, just like we're going to spend time on this and it's ah. But hey, you know what? Taking that out of the equation, that was my analogy. They didn't do anything that would change that, and that sucks. And I was now again. I'm speaking in past tense. When the forward, when the Harper deal is done, I will be more than happy to uh, spend however much time um, on it in in taking criticism, whatever. It's fine. When you have like a 12-year, $340 million, something like that. And I'll be like, yeah, I'm glad the Cardinals didn't do that. Um, but if somehow, some way, it winds up being a short-term deal, and it's, there's no indication that it will be, but if it does, and the Cardinals weren't involved, I really will be disappointed. So now I think there are some people who just want the Cardinals to sign Harper no matter what, but I'm not in that category. I did want them to be involved. And I do recall the day, I mean within an hour, of Paul Goldschmidt getting traded to the Cardinals, doing a Facebook Live. And I'm telling you, for as much as people were excited, I feel like either the majority or at least half of the questions in the Facebook Live were about, does this take them out of Harper? And I was of the opinion that it did not, based on what Bill DeWitt told me uh, in an interview on TMA a couple weeks ago, uh, when I said, well, you guys were in on Stanton, but now you're not in on Harper, you know, so... If you're comfortable with a long-term deal with Stanton, then why wouldn't you be comfortable with a long-term deal with Harper? Fair question. He gave a very fair answer, which was, well, keep in mind, since that that Stanton conversation, we've traded for Ozuna and we've traded for Goldschmidt. Um, so it's not like we haven't done anything, and that's where the dollars have been allocated. But the counter to that is, okay, but they're up after this year. So... I don't know. I mean, and it could just be as simple as they just don't view Harper as valuable, or they think they have some someone else who's more valuable. I don't know, but it, but I don't know. It's it, it's 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 something that's going to continue into 2019 and 20 now because it really wasn't intended to regarding that part of it uh, this off season. Certainly, they made a huge investment in Andrew Miller and they acquired Paul Goldschmidt. But as far as uh, getting in the mix for one of the big free agents it didn't happen and so if the team is not successful this will be the narrative now if the team wins ideally that just puts this to bed but uh, if the team is not successful and harper has a huge year my god it'll be the perfect storm of of uh the wing of the cardinal fan base which i don't think is just like a wing i think it's a healthy percentage that feels like the organization isn't willing to spend the money that it's making on the new tv tv deal and the, the, the attendance and even though i disagree with that uh, I don't have a whole lot of evidence uh, to prove uh, otherwise. And uh, fancy their payroll ranking dropping, and they're going, okay, well, this was your chance, and you didn't do anything, so I get it. So when I have that chance to talk with John Mazalek, and I always wait until the end of spring training, well, always, I have one-year sample size, but I intentionally wait until the end of spring training so we can kind of review where things are. Um, and it's funny, last year, for whatever reason, and I bet one of you will do this, you go back and listen to my conversation with Mazalak at the end of spring training. They had not signed Holland yet, and I'm telling you, and part of me wanted to talk about it right afterwards because he didn't say anything. I just picked up a read uh, that I'm like, I walked out of that office, and I'm like, wow, they're going to sign Greg Holland. And it's not like he said they were going to. It's just the way that he, his tone changed. It was just a read. And then like two days later, they signed uh, 
Greg Hounds, and maybe I'll be able to pick up something else in that conversation that hopefully will happen here um, within the next month. Hey, uh, Mark Hanna is the sponsor of our guests every week. Dexter Fowler, our guest on the Tim McKernan Show. I enjoyed that conversation. Um, if I can do some self-criticism, some self-evaluation of it. Um, I mean, it's a bad, I don't, I, the, 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 my criticism of it, which is, Pete, I know your, I don't know if criticism is even the right word. We both wish it would have gone longer. Um, but I know the circumstances that factored into that. And it was kind of like the, the circumstances were they didn't get in from their workout until a little later. Jim Edmonds and I had a tea time, which I know people are just like, fuck you, do your job. Um, and uh, and it was at a unique golf course, so it wasn't like we were just playing like, you know, whatever. It was, a, it was at a very nice golf course, and somebody had set it up for us, and Edmonds was excited about playing. And so now it's like 1 o'clock. The tea time's at 2.30, even though the place isn't far away from the Cardinals complex. And, um, and a part of me was like, Ah, should I go up to Dexter and say, hey, I know you told me today, but how about we push it back to tomorrow and then I possibly risk losing the interview? So I wanted to seize it in the, in, in the moment, and that was, that was the thought process, knowing that I wouldn't be able to go as long as I would like to. But at the same time, it's not like you're going to find a lot of Dexter Fowler interviews that go real long. I think my 15- or 16-minute interview with him is probably as long as you're going to hear – uh, consecutive Dexter Fowler conversation in the last couple of years. Um, I, and I'm pretty confident with that statement. Uh, in other words, he's not doing a whole lot of interviews, and if he is, you're going to be like the little TV's 15-second soundbite things where I could already tell you what he's going to say. You could tell me what he's going to say because you've seen these types of things. So that's the interview this week. Yeah, I think you hear Dexter in a way that you normally don't hear him. Hopefully it's laid the groundwork to have him back. I'd like to have him back at the end of spring training as well because his spring training is so important. But Dexter Fowler, presented by Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, our guest sponsor every week, Mark Hanna. Uh, I am thrilled with how many people have told me they have gotten to to know him, to work with him, who've called him, because I know that I'm vouching for somebody who uh, can really help. Um, I'm now, and it's 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 basic stuff, and it's stuff that you want to have the you want to talk about when you're 22, not 42. But I'm talking to you about it when I'm 42, and so that's just the, those are the, those are the cards that I'm playing. But it's just organizing your finances, and he gets you on the right track. Three one four eight eight nine zero five zero three. So for me now, um, I, I don't even maybe I should do it. it like it's like a how not to manage your money book, um, because I just we used to travel all the time, and don't get me wrong, it was great. We didn't have a child at the time, and uh, I was operating CBS Sports nine twenty. And so I had some some flexibility without having a child. Um, but my God, I can't even imagine how much money I just, I don't know, did I piss it away? Because we had a good time. But now that you, when, once you actually put it into spreadsheets and then you see what you're spending, you go, okay, well then I want to make sure I don't do this because I, I want to make sure I hit my budget. That's how I am. I mean, it's it's super weird. I guess it comes from when you're operating businesses of course, you want to make sure you hit your budget. You want to hit your projections. You want to keep your expenses below what you projected. All of these basic things. And, and I'm like, I'm doing it for a business. Why shouldn't I do it for my own personal finances? I mean, basic shit. This biz is basic. Somebody in a high school could do this easily. Well, 
what I'm saying is when you start talking with people who manage money, this is one of the things they talk. They're just getting organized. That's one of my biggest issues. I wasn't organized. Well, Mark Hanna gets you organized. And he can, and you say, well, this is what I want to do. And then he puts you, puts you on the track to do it. And you'll be so happy you met with him. He's such a good guy. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, 314-889-0503. Mark Hanna, Evergreen Wealth Strategies, a wonderful sponsor of the Tim McKernan Show. Um, let's see. I will stay on the fan page. Uh, I started listening to the show about five, six years ago. At that time, you talked about playing poker all the time, being in online tournaments for hours upon hours, going to Las Vegas for tournaments, etc. I was just curious about how you got into poker and what made you decide to go beyond a small game of poker with friends. Uh, that comes from Joe on the fan page. Uh, the answer to that question is there's so much on this because it can take in so many different directions. Um, especially now with a little distance between when I used to play all the time um, and present day. Uh, and, and it's truthfully, it's good and it's bad. Um, and it, it really is kind of double-edged. It's not kind of, it is double-edged with major, major things that I think are positive uh, and major things that are negatives. So the, your question specifically, Joe, I never really played a, a, small, a small game of poker with friends. Still really haven't, actually. I can picture one time playing at Chris Pelican's house, and I think that's the only time I wasn't playing in either a casino or a game with pretty decent stakes uh, or online. So, so for example, here, I mean, here's how it happened. It's a truthful story. It's not real fascinating, but I can picture where I was. I was a junior member... Uh, at Norwood Country Club and before the uh, St. Louis shaming of having any semblance of money in your 20s or ambition in your 20s pops in with a hashtag blessed, which I respond with a hashtag taste me, uh, it's not like the junior membership at Norwood cost a damn thing, to be clear. It's great. And then this is 2004, so I'm 27. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it wasn't like it's like $50,000. It wasn't even, you know, in shouting distance of that. So I was playing a lot of golf at the time. Um, and not nearly as in an, I, good. I was worse then than I am now, and I have no idea why, because I didn't play from 2005 through 2016, which is the strangest damn thing. And I don't know if that speaks to the ball or the equipment, but it's the, it truly is the weirdest damn thing. Uh, but anyway, uh, for as much as I played back then, and... Um, you know, I, I think, I don't think, I know my personality is obsessive. And I guess it's, again, it's a double-edged deal that if I start into something and I like it, I don't just go, oh, that's a fun hobby. I become consumed with it. And then as quickly as I can become consumed with it, I can move off of it. And that is where I am now with the game of poker. But in 2004, and I think it was September, and I can tell you why, I remember what would be the months, uh, I was playing, it might have been early October, I was playing golf with a buddy at Norwood, and he goes, you ever watch poker on ESPN? And the answer was, yes, I see it, but I have no idea what's going on. I didn't understand the rules of No Limit Hold'em, and, um, and, and if I saw it, I'd be like, why in the fuck are they showing poker? And I'd just, I'd just move right past it. I mean, couldn't be any more quickly, just blow right past it. Um, and I go... I mean, I see it, but I don't watch it. Oh, it's so good. You ought to get an account on PokerStars. You can make a bunch of money. 
Uh, it's so fun. It's so easy. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, whatever. You know, just kind of stood out to me. I still can picture where we were. I think it was like the 18th fairway of, uh, I don't know if it was east or west coast there. But either way, I can picture it. And uh, and so I'm in Boston for the World Series. Um, and as glamorous as one might think that is, uh, if you can take yourself back to the 2004 World Series, it was very brief. But the weather in Boston, Cardinals were only there for a few days. I mean, for real. I, I bet they only spent two nights in Boston, as in at their hotel. Got there Thursday night. I mean, no, they got there Friday night, had a game on Saturday night, and then flew back after game two on Sunday. I mean, it was just like a World Series. It didn't even exist. Um, so one of the nights that I'm in my hotel, it's not like I went anywhere, and I'm just like, ah, I'll create a PokerStars account. And I think I was watching Anchorman and playing poker and having no clue what I was doing and talking about managing money. Holy shit. From 2004 through 2007, I can't imagine how much money I lost. Um, if I gave a number, it would be, it would make like 99% of you, like even people who have ridiculous money, vomit. Um, it, it makes me cringe. I, I don't know what it is. I, I have a ballpark idea what it is. And to think that I did that is is nauseating. It's, it's also, it, it, it shows a, a, just a huge flaw. Again, so many of these stories that I tell, um, I mean, I was, in, I was around 30 then, you know? I mean, you got to know better. There's no excuse for it. Nobody to blame. It's like when I thought I fucked up the Fowler interview and didn't record. It's like, oh, I'd love to blame somebody, but it was just me and the machine i fucked it up um this is me this is me being really irresponsible like even at 19 or 20 like if my son did this shit i'd be like dude you gotta know better but i'm doing this at 30 and it just came from just a lack of really having just a really poor understanding of finances um and i really i was very lucky in 2004 to have a a television job and the television job didn't pay that much relatively speaking certainly not as much as what people would expect uh but the radio at that point i just signed a new deal the morning after well, the morning grind started in 2004 and at that time i was doing tv and radio and um and making a, a, a nice amount a legitimate amount of money from radio and still had money coming in from television and i'm 27 28 years old i mean you know, if I was making that money now, um, you know, even, um, it would be a good situation, uh, much less then when I didn't have, you know, a mortgage and uh, I guess I did, but it was just on a condo and, uh, just had gotten married, no kids. I mean, you know, I mean, that sh I should have been, I don't even know. I don't like the thing. I, I truly, I'll talk about it, but I really, uh, the only time I ever think about it is when I do this fucking podcast because I do the Mark Hanna read. And then it, then it always takes me back to how irresponsible I was with money, which is why I advocate him so highly. But either way, I mean, I lost for sure five figures, but it's it's not just like, oh, 10,000. It's like, it's got to be more than that. I'm not saying it's 50, but it's in between there. Um, and, I, and it was just like, it didn't matter. Because I had very, very little expenses, but I was making a nice amount of money. And and then I left TV in February of 05. And so all I would do for real was, for, until I started Inside STL in August of 05, i just come home and I'd play poker. For real. And, and I was bad. You know? 
But whereas, you know, it would get to a breaking point for most people, let's say they're making, you know, whatever the average 27-year-old's making at that point, uh, they'd have to cut themselves off. because Again, it's not like I was making millions of dollars, of course, but, I mean, it was a nice, nice living, for, especially for that age, especially for this business. And, uh, and so, therefore, I could just keep, like, and at that time, I think he used, like, NetTeller. Oh, I mean, I can't even imagine. Like, if there was a database to see what you lost, and I know there were some databases for tournaments, but I'm talking about cash games, it would be, it would be brutal. Um, and so that, that's one thing. I haven't even gotten to the thing that I think is a bigger issue on the poker. The time. The time. Keep going back to this. The two balances that, that you need to care about in life, of course, are your, your various, you know, accounts, checking, savings, you know, securities, 401k, whatever, whatever, whatever you're, whatever you're working with here, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing, but then time, time, and it doesn't matter how much money you got every day, that balance is lower. It just does not change. And when I look back on how much time I spent on it, I mean, and this is, you know, recent. I mean, they're, 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 the only time I play poker now is there are a handful of days a year where I cannot fall asleep on a Sunday night. And, I mean, I'm talking about it will own me. Um, and I feel terrible. My wife, um, you know, and I, we won't be able to fall asleep. And I'll toss and turn, and, you know, you get up at 5 to do TMA, and so you're just going to get a couple hours of sleep, and then you just, and I'm sure a lot of you deal with this, and I don't feel like it gets talked about enough with people with sleep issues. Um, and then you're just kind of like out the rest of the day, and by that I mean you're just like, I can't wait until later tonight when I can try to go to bed and then get right for the next day. So your day is essentially a waste. And that used to be my life all the time. Now it pops up a few days a year. It's brutal. I have the utmost sympathy for people who go through it because I lived through it for about five years, although part of it was the fact that I would go out until 4 or 5 in the morning and then try to adjust my sleep during the week, and it just didn't work. I'm talking about 4 and 5 in the morning on the weekends. So anyway, um, the only time I play poker is on a few of those days where it's like I can't function, and even if I do try to do something for Inside STL or a podcast, it'll be bad because I'm not thinking clearly, uh, and so I don't want to make a decision that could you know, hurt the company. So I'll like put, you know, a few bucks in, you know, for a tournament and just play poker. I mean, it, it has, it's maybe once every two months this happens, but, and I hate those days. They kind of make me nauseous, but that's what I used to do every day. And I'll be playing and I'll just be like, yeah, I still, I still have it. But because I did get good, good being relative, good tournament player. I don't think I was ever a good cash game player and good tournament player doesn't mean great tournament player. Um, and I will, you know, play and then I'll get knocked out. And whereas before it used to set me off something fierce and there's no reason to, it's like, okay, I got it in with ace king. You got it in with Queens 52% of the time. You're going to win 48% of the time. I mean, there's no, there's nothing to it. You know, everybody did the right thing strategically, so to speak. And then you just, then the nacer king didn't come or whatever. A nacer king did come on the flop, but then a queen comes on the river and you lose. And it's just like, ah, and you wig out. It's so unhealthy. 
And from that standpoint, the time spent, the unhealthiness, especially playing tournaments, which which is just it truly does, of course, come into luck. I mean, luck's a factor in all of it, but more so in tournaments. Ah, oh, I really, really, really regret it. Uh, I don't know if I would say it's my biggest regret in my life, but it is a major regret. Don't think I've ever said that. Don't necessarily think it's a poignant statement. But um, now with some time between playing all the time, which really kind of stopped in 2011 with Black Friday, uh, and now in 2019, and having a greater appreciation for time, the fact that I spent all that time from 2004 through 2011 playing online poker, and then to a lesser extent in Las Vegas, I really rarely played in St. Louis, uh, playing poker, I'm, I'm just, you know, Ah, that's 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 a miss. That's a bad miss, and that's on me. Again, not one other person. Like how different, as dumb as it sounds, how different would my life be if I hadn't played poker? If I hadn't had that conversation in the 18th fairway at Norwood? <laughs> now, so I want to be transparent with it because I have to. I have to. There aren't many. Like sometimes some bad things wind up happening. And you can go, you know, it's like when somebody goes, well, how about that trade or that signing? Well, it's like you wanted, like Dexter Fowler. Like there's so much revisionist history on Dexter Fowler from some Cardinal fans. When the morning after that signing in December of 2016, that had like a 95% approval percent approval rating in St. Louis. Well, now what does it have? Like 1% if that? But but what what happened to the the, the 95%, you know, as, as they say on social media, where are all the so-and-so haters now, you know, or where are all the people who are supporters? That's why I focus on judgment in the moment. And uh, that's, that's a sign of somebody, from my standpoint, who you want to surround yourself. People who, you know, if I get it in with pocket aces and lose the hand, that doesn't, doesn't mean I made the wrong play. And so that is something that I have learned and I value from the poker experience. Does it outweigh the waste of time, um, the impact it had on relationships, the impact it probably had on friendships, the, the way that I would spend weekends, Sundays specifically, just playing poker? Holy shit. No, it does not. However, from an operating a business standpoint, um... And from a thought process standpoint, that lesson is not something that I had from school, being in journalism school. I really feel like St. Louis University High School, which automatically makes people cringe, um, but I do believe this, was the the key as far as cr- teaching critical thought. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if it's still this way 25 years later, but in the moment in 1994, it absolutely was. And I, you know, the University of Missouri was fine and everything, but St. Louis U High was critical thought. And the University of Missouri Journalism School is what helped with my career. Um, but as far as learning, you know, to focus on numbers and probabilities and a thought process and being comfortable with the outcome um, once you're good with the process that was that was something I learned through poker now I don't feel like 
I here's what I do feel like. I feel like there is a perception in the little world, and I want to emphasize a little world. Now you're a part of it because you're listening to my podcast. After there's a good chance you listen to three hours of us on the radio, so you're certainly part of the little world, and I couldn't be more grateful for you being part of the little world. And the little world has continued to grow, and that's great. But relatively speaking. You know, for every one person who knows about TMA or this podcast or the Cat Chat or me and McLaughlin's show in St. Louis, God, there's got to be a hundred who have no idea what it is. You know what I mean? So that's what I mean by little world. Um, But in the little world, and part of it's just kind of the jokes on the show, but in the little world, there is a perception of me as being like this media businessman or something along those lines that I, and I, I mean, you always appreciate a compliment, but you also have to, like, assess it for what it is. Um, you know, I, I, I created Inside STL not because I'm like, ooh, there's a great opportunity here. I created Inside STL because I was bored out of my fucking mind. And I was playing golf by myself and playing poker all the time in 2005, and I had a non-compete to kill. And then, you know, I operated a radio station by starting CBS Sports 920 in 2013, but I didn't do that because I'm like, oh, I know that I can do this and I'll do this, 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 and this. I did it out of necessity. So, you know, now, did, did both things wind up working out? Yes, and that's wonderful, but that wasn't because of me. Uh, I mean, I suppose I captained the ship, but... I know that there were a lot of people, many of whom you know because you hear them on air, and others who you don't know because they were behind the scenes or are still behind the scenes that that did that stuff, um, and I get the credit, so I don't deserve it, and that's why I say you know this this media mogul thing again in our little world. I want to emphasize that I think is an, uh, is not justified. I appreciate it, but I don't agree with it. But there is one thing from that experience that tying it back into poker, and that is you focus on the process and then spend a lot of time. Sometimes it would irritate people how much time I would spend on it um, before making a decision. And then you try to do with the information that you have in the moment what you think is the right move. And there are so many factors. Um, So I'll go into, you know, again, it's all along the lines of poker, but... When we started CBS Sports 920, uh, because we had to leave KFNS because it was becoming the man and the woman thing, and so you're talking about six years ago now, um, uh, I signed, me and my wife signed a guarantee to Burt Kaufman, who owns WGNU 920, I still believe he owns WGNU 920, um, of a substantial amount of money, I guess it's never good if you go into because it can just come off as a brag. And I get that, even with me kind of pointing out the weird thing that I think goes on for some St. Louisans with hating on people with ambition. But I get it. You bring up money. But we had to guarantee it. Nobody else did. Uh, even though I have partners at Inside STL, I didn't ask them to sign off on a personal guarantee. Again, this is another thing. This isn't that long ago. It is six years ago. I'm not sure I would. Well, I wouldn't do it now. I actually would not do it now. I would not do it now. I didn't have a son then at the time. And I also don't have the knowledge that I have now. I didn't have that at the time. Um, but it was, it was, and I, was, I knew it was a risk, risk but, it was, but you know, I was confident we'd be successful. I'm not sure, with the benefit of hindsight, the juice was worth the squeeze uh, if you were laying out the analytics in the moment. 
but it was kind of it was more of an emotional. We've got to do this, and I'm going to be. I'm, I'm the only person who has the infrastructure because I have this inside STL business for eight years at the time, so I will do it. And I was told I bounced it off people, and I was told you can. Here's what it's going to cost. Here's what you can bring in. You're going to be fine. It's aggressive, but you're going to be fine. And so we did it. Um, and when we started out, we had the infamous Albert Pujols. Uh, Jack Clark situation, and and understandably because that got the attention that it got, um, that's what people thought was making my life a living hell. And don't get me wrong, it was brutal. Internally, we knew the truth. I still have the audio of it. I have audio from you know weeks. Oh, I guess there were weeks, the days of the shows, and there's all kinds of stuff in there that was never reported. But it's fine. I mean, it, I, it's it's relatively speaking, it's fine. It's an unfortunate thing that it wasn't included in the reports, but whatever, it's six years ago and who fucking cares. But either way, understandably, people on the outside looking in think my life's a living hell because of that. Well, my life was a living hell, actually more so because I've got this monster for our business, this monster nut that I have to hit, and we are a few weeks into it, and we are not even close to hitting it. And I'm going, oh, my God. I have guaranteed this gentleman, he's a good man, still say that, of course, six years later, um, and, if, and if we don't hit it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to come up with some money to pay him because I guaranteed it. Me and my wife guaranteed it. Uh, much less all of the people who are working for CBS Sports 920. And as always, you know, I'm, I'm, the, the buck stops here. And I was not getting the job done. Now, of course, there were factors, and uh, it was a difficult spot for a wide variety of reasons um, that it would not be proper to get into publicly. But it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. It was not, it was, you know, when people talk about tossing and turning, it was, there was no tossing and turning. I would get in bed knowing I would not be sleeping. And... Uh, it was just a it was a it was a miserable time, but we righted the ship. It you know took some action, but we righted the ship. Now in the moment, tying this back to poker, um, I bounced off of uh, some people the situation. You know, again on the outside, everybody's talking about the Albert Pujols thing. We knew what was going on. We knew our situation. We knew what we were responsible for and what we weren't responsible for, and we knew, you know, the way even though it was being painted one way. We knew what the truth was. Uh, I just wasn't able to say anything about it because you have an insurance policy that covers you, and if you say anything, you can risk losing the insurance policy. So there's the deal with how the world works. So it's sweet. You get drugged through the mud, but, you know, what's your choice? You, you say something and risk your insurance policy, uh, or you defend yourself, and, you, you know, you have to pick one or the other. And it's fun. I really wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Um, but then it, the thing that was killing me, killing me. And there are only a handful of people who know this. I mean, I'm talking about less than five. I'm actually thinking right now, I'm only thinking of like my wife and one other person who is business related. I don't even know if Doug and the cat know it. Um, like I know, for example, when something popped up with a cat a year or two ago, and I said, you know, there were, t- <laughs> there were times, you know, 2013 to 2014, where Anna Marie and I, Anna Marie's my wife, didn't pay ourselves. Couldn't pay ourselves. And I'm hosting the show. For a time, I was hosting two shows and uh, and running the business. Can't pay myself. I mean, sure, I can take out a line of credit, have a line of credit, but I'm the guarantor on that. 
So, you know, what are you going to do? You're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And the cat's like, well, I didn't know that. I'm like, of course you do. Why the fuck would I tell you that? Because you're counting on this paycheck, and the last thing I want to do is send a message to everybody like, just so you guys know, I can't pay myself this week, can't pay my wife either, but everything's fine, can't do it. You got to lead, and you got to take care of the people. I mean, these people have chosen to be part of our thing, and I've got to make sure I get it. And there's nothing heroic. Some people might go, oh, that's really kind of you. It's, if you were in my spot, you would do the same thing. I, I just don't think it's... I just don't think it's heroic at all, but it's all it's, it's part of the story. And in the midst of the story, when this is going on, I recall somebody saying, well, you've got to let these people go. And some of the people that they were talking about, you've got to let these people go. Now, it was never anybody on TMA, because TMA is the show that brings in money. Now, that's publicly documented. If I used to say it, if I were to have said that at the time, it would be like, well, fuck you. It's your show, and you're the one running the business, and so that's why you're saying it. It's like if John Kiowski over at... Hubbard or uh, Becky Damian over at Entercom hosted uh, a show and then went public and said, well, the only show that makes money is is the one I'm hosting. I mean, that's just, it's bad optics. Can't say it. Can't say it to your staff either, but those were the numbers. Um, and, you know, fortunately now other people have said that publicly, so it's not like I'm saying something that's just my own little private self-indulgent comment. But in the moment, the thought process was, well, you can you can reduce expenses by letting these people go, this person go, this person go. And you're talking about some, in St. Louis media, some big names um, and some good people, too. And I explained to the person who was saying that that's what I have to do. I said, I get it. And I said, I, it's not like, it's not like, it's not like you're, you're, you're wrong. It's kind of like, okay, should I raise here? Should I call here? Should I fold here? You know, here's the information we have. And sometimes it's not just about that one hand. It's about setting a a tone for future hands. And so if I were to have started this radio station in August of 2013 and, you know, within two months just started firing people who didn't do a thing wrong, um, I mean, that, that lives with me forever. And that never goes away. It Does it solve the short-term issue? Yeah, it does. Um, it helps, at the very least, for sure. And it certainly gets us toward a solution. But our issue was a revenue issue more so than an expense issue. Don't get me wrong. They were both issues. But they were, they were, they were twofold, as is usually the case. Now, sometimes you're like, oh, my God, our expenses are as low as they can be, and we're still losing money. But this was, this was certainly more of a revenue issue. And then we got the models that, that were better for what we needed to do, and we got it right. But I was not going – I would rather, and I did it. Um, and again, I, I hope it doesn't come off because it's not – I'm just telling a story and tying it into the thought process that, that I think I learned from poker. Because um, it's not like, oh, wow, Tim, that's such a great thing. I, th- I think anybody would do it. Um, I just like, I'm not going to pay myself. Or I'm going to pay myself, my God, I don't even know. 20th of what I was making, um, just essentially so we could pay our mortgage and keep going, as opposed to going, well, if I fire this person, I fire this person, I fire this person, now I can pay myself about what I was making before. I'm not going to do it. And um, and so that's how that's how we handled it. And, um, you know, and then I informed every, you know, those who could be in a situation where they would either be getting a reduction at some point down the road in pay or the show uh, 
could be up in the air. Here is the here is the deal. I know you guys are happy with your guests, or you're hearing compliments about the show, and that's great. But here is what matters, and it can never be it can be talked about publicly, but the public won't understand it. And that is advertising dollars. Those are our statistics. You want to talk about wins above replacement, no PS, that's great. That's baseball. That's wonderful that there are statistics in radio. It's dollars tied to shows or hosts. Those are our numbers, and in reality, those are the only numbers that, that matter. So anytime somebody loses their show and everybody goes, man, you got fucked. It's like, yeah, probably didn't get fucked. But the radio station owner or manager who's quoted in these stories can't go, yeah, no, great talent, had zero advertising dollars on the show, or no, we're paying them, you know, X, but... Uh, he or she was bringing in X minus Y, and so we were losing money, and uh, nobody wanted to advertise on the show. You can't do that. But that's that's reality, and it's just like any other business. But it's just ours gets treated a little differently. It kind of gets covered like team. But the thought process that I'm not sure I would have had had I not played poker was, okay, yeah, I can win here, but my losses will be greater if I do it. And it's not necessarily financial losses. It's It's public equity. It's equity with my, the people that I work with in this small little fraternity in, in St. Louis uh, radio. And, and, it's, and you play things out like, okay, he raised before the flop, then he bet on the, then he bet on the flop. Okay, now he just checked because a third spade just came off on the turn. <sighs> Does that mean he's fearful or did he just hit or, you know, it it's it's and here's what he did 12 hands ago and then I remember what he did with his chips when he when this card came off and now I notice that he's holding his chips this way I mean it's all of this shit or if it's online it's betting patterns or you're able to look up you know what the player had done in tournaments and you have that information and and certain players if they were losing players they would play one way and winning players would play another way and so you knew how to adjust and and so from that standpoint, I got a lot out of it. However, was it worth the time? Uh, was it worth the impact on relationships and, uh, and just pissing weekends away? The mood swings it would cause if you get a bad beat and get knocked out of a tournament after playing eight hours. Going to Las Vegas and just sitting in poker rooms and not spending time you know, with the people I went out there with? I mean... No, the answer is no, and I got I, I can't spin that man. That's that's my life, and and I did it, and I am not happy that I did it. Um, now, with the benefit of looking back on it, and now, and I also know this. It's not like I can say so. Here's some counsel to everybody: don't do it yourselves, because what I was doing from 2004 through 2011, you can't do in 2019, because you had poker stars and full tilt, and it was a different world. Um, I suppose you can do it to an extent with with daily fantasy, uh, but my time spent on daily fantasy is nothing in comparison to. I mean, I'm talking. I mean, there were there were days I would get up. Oh God, at ten in the morning, uh, and start playing tournaments and go until two or three in the morning. You know, and then you're then you lose, and it's like, oh my God, when, when's there another tournament? Let me get another tournament, and you're just chasing the. And you, you go to bed that night, and you're like, oh my God, I lost eight thousand dollars. And, I, and, but, and that's what I would think about. And, and now, at age 42, I look back and go, God, I lost a day. I lost a weekday. Uh, I lost a weekend day. Whatever. It doesn't matter. And, uh, God, I just, I, it's, uh, it's I, I don't like it. I don't like to think about that. I don't like to think about it. But the 
question's an honest question. Uh, probably wasn't expecting an answer like this at all. It was more about how did you get started playing poker and you got this. And I could, ta- I could take it even deeper. Um, but, you know, I'll leave it there. Uh, but, you know, so, so I am able to not get D-Jenny on sports gambling. Um, I don't know if I was D-Jenny on poker because from 2008 through 2011, I won money. I made money. But if you think about the hours, like the win rate per hour spent, fuck, it was nothing. You know, the most I made in one tournament was, I think it was $14,000. And it was a third place finish in a $27 buy-in on PokerStars. And I won my 2008 World Series of Poker main event seat. And then that also came with a few thousand dollars on PokerStars. Had to beat some good players to do that. Uh, and then there were a few others where there, there were four-digit caches. Good number of those. So I was profitable from 2008 to 2011, but again, it doesn't justify the time. And, um, you know, and, and now, you know, I don't even know. My wife and I, we were talking about just a week or two ago, actually. And I go, God, to think that I used to just, like, we weren't going to do shit on the weekend during the day because I was going to play poker. And then on top of it, if it didn't go well, I'd be in a pissy mood. And you were subjected to that. And that's just... That's awful. That's 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 an awful thing, and that's but that's what I did. You know, it wasn't like it was like, of course, it wasn't violent or anything like that. I was just bitchy, you know. And it's just an it's just an awful thing, and it's it's a real lack of uh, self awareness. Not necessarily myself. I knew what I was doing, but I didn't realize the impact it had on the people around me. And now again, being able to step away from it, I almost view it. Like probably somebody who is addicted to alcohol or drugs looks at that time and just goes, God, you know, I'm sure they're happy that they're not doing it anymore, of course, but you don't get that time back. And you're happy you're out of it, but you don't get that time back. Um, and unlike an addiction to alcohol or drugs, well, I'm sure some people go like, oh, my God, when I was doing coke, it was the greatest. I was having orgies and I was having so much fun. Can't do it anymore, though. Got kids. So maybe they look at it. But I, I do think that learning about the game and studying the game made me think about things differently. I also think talking in that way, it's like I was talking about with Mazalak and with the first question. I don't think, even though I know that I'm in the minority on this, especially with sports talk radio listeners in St. Louis, I don't think John Mazalak uh, is, is, I think he's a good guy, like, I, like in a, a big way. Like I, he, and here's another thing about it. Most of the time, like the really good guys, in my experience, is my experience, you wouldn't know some of the things that they do because part of their moral code for being a good guy is that they don't want attention for it. Uh, in other words, you know, like sometimes I'll see these guys or women or whatever people on social media like posting about their good deed for the day and you're just going like you're just holding up two middle fingers like, fuck you, you know. But I guess if the ends the end justifies the mean, they did something that raised money for charity or made people happy. So I guess in the end, it's fine. But you know, I know that Mazalak does a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, that has nothing. That's got nothing to do with PR. It's just kind of who he is. Um, and I'm and I kind of want to talk about some of it, but I don't know if he wants it out. So I I won't. And it's not. It's got nothing to do with baseball. It's kind of who he is. He's he's a good guy. But I also know 
that the way that he talks makes people feel like he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room, and then he's got the sweater tied around his his shoulders, and it's like this guy thinks he's there wearing the bow tie, which I don't believe he's doing anymore, and he did that, I believe, as a tribute to his father, but some people are like, oh, you think you're so smart, you got a bow tie on, when it's not like he came from some, you know, St. Louis Country Club background or anything. Uh, you start talking in ways about, you know, he started arbitrage and, you know, the, the, the famous low-hanging fruit or whatever. But that's how his mind works because he's an analytics-based person in an analytics-based job. And so I think I think the biggest thing that, that, I don't know what I call it, ruined, but when my contract was put in the newspaper, uh, that immediately made a bunch of people hate me. Um so there, so there's that, but then you combine it with talking about results-oriented thinking and focusing on the process and like, okay, you're down on Dexter Fowler now, but you were high on Dexter Fowler and they signed him, but yet you're attacking Mazalak and the Cardinals for signing him, but you're not acknowledging that you thought it was great. That, and, and, you know, or like social media shit, you know, it's like, okay, you're, you're, you're calling out, take your pick of whatever celebrity for whatever thing that they said or did, whether it be now or back in 1988 or something, and you're doing it in a way where you're just absolutely verbally violent toward the person, and then I'll go, yeah, isn't that just as shitty, if not more shitty, than than what this person said? Well, that's a different deal, though, because he's in the public eye, and I'm like, well, no, it's not. Treating people shitty is treating people shitty, whether you're in the public eye and no, no matter how much money you make. And I don't know why it's so, and I, and I don't, I don't have an answer for that. But then that makes one perceived to be what we've been joking about recently on TMA, unrelatable. Um, when in reality, it's just, it, it trains your brain to think about process more than results. Now, when it's all said and done, I can talk about process with advertisers, whether it be on this podcast or on TMA, and talk to the owners of radio stations about, I really like the way I pitched this advertiser and then this advertiser. And man, I think we did this with our process on marketing the show. Now nobody showed up and then nobody bought our show, but the process. So when I, I realized just like wins and losses, you are judged on the results. But if your process is true to what you believe will get you the best results, even though you're going to have some bad beats, you're going to win more often than you lose. And so I think I think for business it was very healthy. But you know, I don't know how much better of a business person I am because of it. I just know a thought the thought process it was my opinion very helpful. Um but as far as looking back on the time spent on it um, certainly the first 2004, 2005, 2006, 2007, the money lost on it, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how the women in my life stuck around for that shit. I just don't, I don't know how they did. I mean, it, you know, I'm I, that, you know, I got, I got nothing. And, and in the, and in the moment it's like, oh, you're the enemy. You just don't want me playing poker. And now I look back, I'm like, how in the fuck did you put up with it? For real, I feel like it's got to be like somebody who's talking about like that alcohol abuse in their life where they, you know, had a drug problem, um, gambling on sports, which like I said, I don't fortunately have an issue with that at all. 
Um, you know, but that's a thought process thing. That's a thought process thing. For me, it's like uh, Justin Thomas did an interview. Tony LaRusso used to say this too. The losses bother me way more than I enjoy the wins. And so $1,000 is a nice amount of money for even somebody who's a millionaire. It's like, oh, nice, $1,000. But for the vast majority of people, it's a significant amount of money. If I were to win $1,000 gambling on sports, that'd be great. It's not going to change my life in any way, but it'd be great. If I were to lose $1,000 on sports, and whether I'm losing it online or I'm having to meet some guy in a parking lot to hand him $1,000, that would bother me 50 times more than I would enjoy winning the $1,000. And so that's the analytic for me. That's the analytic. But for whatever reason, I'm, I, and I can't, and you're like, oh, that's a healthy, you might be like, oh, that's a healthy thought process. But yet I'm happy to put money into DraftKings and lose that like it's nothing. You know, now it's not nearly I'm losing $1,000 a week or anything like that. And, and that is not a healthy thought process. That's fucked up. There's no real explanation for that. But I feel like I have more control over that one. I think that's why I think, even though in reality I don't, kind of like poker. Whereas if I would have lost $1,000 betting on sports on a Sunday, I'd be all over myself. But when I lost $1,000 on poker, I felt like, well, I just didn't play well. When in reality, you're, sometimes you're just going to get bad beats. There's nothing you can fucking do, man. I played in the main event, the one that I was talking about in 2008, three tables over from me. Ray Romano of Everyone Loves, Everybody Loves Raymond was uh, at the table when it happened. Some of you might have even seen it. Dude had quad aces, quad aces, quad aces, and he was knocked out of the tournament by a royal flush. It was like there was an explosion in the room when it happened. I was, like I said, a few tables over. So you're going to have bad beats. So it's not like you're in total control, but there is skill to that as opposed to playing slots or craps or something along the lines. Either way, summation, waste of time, wish I had it back, and I would do anything, I truly would do anything to go back to that fairway at Norwood in September of 2004 and never have it come up. Because I'm telling you, my life would be different and it would be better. And it's a fucked up thing to say. It's a fucked up thing to actually verbalize those thoughts. But that is, that is the honest to God truth. So you asked how I got into poker and you just got God only knows how much more. Hopefully it satisfied the question because I'm not even sure it answered the question. But there it is. Uh, as candid as I could possibly be on the, uh, on the topic. Gangster Pete, I know you like to gamble. I know you're sitting there. Probably not because you want to, but because you have to. Any thoughts on the... Uh, the poker question and answer. Uh, I agree with you. The biggest problem with the poker is the time. That's why I don't play more. Like when I go to Vegas, I only have a certain amount of time out there. I don't want to spend it all sitting at the poker table. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that the fact that I used to do that. Like I, when I was out there and I guess September, yeah, September and James Carlton, a fine sponsor. This is going to segue into the James Carlton ad. Like nobody's business was out there uh, and met up with him and a buddy and played poker. And I played like for two hours and I'm just like, yeah, that was enough. And I don't know. I don't know if I won. Whatever I won or lost, it was immaterial because I barely remember it. I think I won a little. It doesn't matter. It's not the point. I remember walking out of there going, God, I just sit there for two hours now. I was exhausted. But to think that I used to sit in that very room, it was the Venetian poker room, and then the tournaments would start at noon. And in order to make money, you had to get to 12 midnight. I mean, wow. That's fucked up. It's just fucked up, and and it bothers me now. And I, 
in a way, I worry that it's going to bother me more and more as I get older because then you have a greater appreciation for time. That's why I keep going back to this time thing, you know. Um, Gangster Pete, let me ask you this. Yes, sir. Do you think that the average, you're 37, right? Yep. The average, let's say, 30, let's call 30-year-old to 45-year-old, and we'll say St. Louisan, just on the off chance that this would be different in different parts of the country or world, so certainly let's just say St. Louis, has an appreciation for time. Who? I think that's something you learn as you go. Because I think, I, th- I mean, you wasted a lot of time at the poker t- table. I think a lot of people, as they are living their life, realize what is important to them as they get more experience. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that, that that's the, the right answer because as you get older, you appreciate it. And then you see how quickly in the rearview mirror it goes. Right. And then once you do that, you're like, oh, okay, then this is, this is, it's like, you know, for me, like being age 60 wasn't even something that was on the radar even five years ago. Yeah. And now I'm like, fuck. You know, I mean, yeah, it is quote unquote, it's not even quote unquote, it's 18 years away. But I take myself, I can remember age 24. I mean, I was in my second year at KMOV at age 24, and that's just as close as age 60 is now. And I'm going, okay, now I'm doing the math on my son. My son will be 19 at the time. And I'm going, okay, I'm 60. You know, I mean, it's like, okay, 60, like, shit starts getting real. Even though shit already has started getting real, it's just then, like, when you're 60, you start going, okay, shit's gotten real, you know? And I just, and so that's, you know, so some people with, like, regard to us living in Florida for a couple of months a year, um, which in a sliver of the population, I mean, a sliver, like, I can actually only think of one person uh, even though I would imagine there's probably more who hate on it, um, and I'm not really—I—I sh- I, I don't know—I I, don't—I don't know what it's really about. But for me, it's—it's it's, you know—it just so happens the place we love to be is where the Cardinals' spring training is, so it works. It's not like I'm like, yes, we're going to go to St. Bart's, uh, and I'll be doing the show from there. Uh, contractually, I would be able to do that, but it would make absolutely no sense. So the place we happen to love uh, is where the Cardinal Spring Training is. We love Jupiter, Florida. But I'm also looking at it going, okay, maybe I have 30 years left, which means if I live all 30 of those years in St. Louis, 15 of those years approximately, and actually maybe you could say more because I think it's greater than six months a year, is spent in shitty weather. And it's just not the way I personally want to live. I love St. Louis. I feel like you got to put that disclaimer on it. But my actions will back that up. However, I hate I hate the weather from November through March or April more than I love St. Louis. And so that is why we do it. We are happier when we are not in that weather. And because and, and the thought process is I you know, it doesn't it could be anybody. It could be 25. It's the same deal. You just apply the formula, you know, okay. You're 25. Okay, you have let's just say we're just arbitrarily assigning 50 years now um that means 25 of your years are going to be spent if you're in st louis in cold cloudy gray rainy conditions and there for me now maybe people are much stronger than me and i know that many are 
But for me, when I'm driving, like I go and work out before TMA starts. Uh, I do that both in St. Louis uh, and in Jupiter. And uh, and when I'm driving along to go to work out at uh, what is, you know, 645 Eastern, um, and it's sunny and just, you know, whatever, 75 degrees, that, I'm in a better place mentally I'm talking about. I'm not talking about physically, although I'm sure some people say yeah, physically you are too. I just am. And so because I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to live forever. And I might be gone in the next hour. And I've got a wife and I've got a son and I've got her parents and I've got my parents and we're able to spend this time together. You do it. Now, you don't do it at all costs, like the Bryce Harper conversation, but you, you, you do it. That's, that's, my, that's my thought process. Uh, now, I realize I'm in a different spot with what I do for a living than damn near everybody else. And I'm not talking about income. I'm talking about, you know, most people can't um, go, well, I'm going to go down and, and work from a remote location. But I know more and more people are able to do that. And for me, it's like a, it's an, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. The, the money is, talk about thought process, it's certainly a factor. But the happiness factored in along with just going, yeah, I mean, how, how many more years can my parents come down here and live with us? How many more years can Anna Marie's parents come down here and live with us? How many more years can we do this with our one-year-old who will be going into school soon? You know, soon, again, being relative, but it's not like we can do this in five years even. I mean, we can, but that means he's going to two different schools. Um, and so, you know, that, that that's that's the, th- the thought process. So I think for people on the outside looking in, I don't whatever they think. I mean, hopefully nobody spends a minute thinking about it. I don't think about anybody else's, <laughs> what they're doing, but I, I, I know it also pops up because I know there's whatever, you know, conversations that, that go on. And, you know, uh, that's, that's my reasoning is time. Time. The value of time. It is, and you have such a greater appreciation for it, uh, especially when you start thinking about it. And I guess maybe people don't want to think about it because it's morbid. But I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't, I, I think it's, I think it's healthy. I think you might get more out of your life if you're cognizant of it. It's not necessarily fun to think that the, that the, the cap is, uh, is there. But, you know, it might make you, you know, want to seize the opportunities more so. Again, not at all costs. And I just, it's just not, it's not something I thought about at all. I started thinking about it much more so when my son was born in a major way. But I don't know if 25-year-olds, once they have children, uh, if they have children at 25, are thinking about it as much. I think when you have children later, um, that... You know, you, it's just, it's natural to think about. It's like, I think, I think, I, I think I did, I think it was Marcus Allen when he was in on the podcast. And I, th- I don't know how old Marcus Allen is. I'm sitting here with my laptop. But from, how old do you think Marcus Allen is in Gangster Peak? Go ahead and venture a guess. 60. I, I, he was 50. I thought he was older than that for some reason. But he is 58. And that, that was the number that popped in my head. He's 58. Uh, he'll be 60 here in less than a month. Or, excuse me, he'll be 59 in less than a month. Um, and so he was in last year for uh, a podcast. You know, he lives in, in Illinois, in the St. Louis area. And, uh, and I, you know, I think he has a very young child, not as young as my son, but a young child. 
And I said, you ever think about, he goes, don't even go there, man. Don't even go there, you know. And what he meant by that is, yeah, I know I'm older and, you know, I might not be able to see as much of my son's life as the other parents at, at the school, but, you know, these are the cards that I was dealt and this is what I'm playing and that's, yeah, I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. But once you have a child, at least from my standpoint, you start thinking about it more and then you're like, okay, I want to seize these opportunities. Uh, I remember the, the, the Boston Globe baseball reporter who just died in Fort Myers, just like dropped dead outside the Red Sox clubhouse. And I was reading Dan Shaughnessy's tribute to him in the Boston Globe, and people raved about this dude. It seemed like he was very well liked. Nick Cafardo was his name. And, uh, you know, one of the things in the obituary was like, Nick always talked about buying a house in Florida and moving down. I'm just like, God, I, I hate hearing that. I hate hearing that. You know, I hate hearing that because it's like, you know, it's not like, it's not like it goes on forever. You know, my parents now spend a lot of time uh, at Hilton Head. That's where they honeymooned in 1974. My dad got a place for the family years ago, and now he said, Timmy, my least favorite day of the year is when I'm leaving Hilton Head and I see it in the rearview mirror. And I'm like, well, then spend more time there. And they do now, but it's still like, Timmy, if it was up to me, I'd be here. Your mother wants to go back and see the grandkids. You know me. I'd love to. And I thought, oh God bless. At least you're spending as much time there as you are. Because that's what it's about, to enjoy yourself. Again, not at all costs. I don't think I need to explain that, but it's within reason. And obviously, he's retired. and It's a different program. But, you know, it just doesn't go on for him. So I think about time and how that is a balance that for everyone, no matter how much is in your financial accounts, this balance for everybody, it's decreasing with each day, which might be like, oh, that's so morbid. You're so depressing. It's like, okay, it might be depressing, but it's honest. And I think it's healthy to be cognizant of it because I think you may act differently and, and enjoy yourself more as opposed to like there's some cartoon of a guy chasing money, chasing money, chasing money. And then he's, he's chasing money in his 40s. He's chasing money in his 50s. He's chasing money in his 60s. He's chasing money in his 70s. And then it shows age 75. And then he then he finally grasps the cash. And then there's the cliff. Because, okay, you, you spent all this time like chasing it, but you weren't enjoying your life. And now you got it. But now, you know, I don't know. I I don't know. I I. I just I, I think about it and I and I wanted to get your perspective on it because I'm just like for me I'm just like yeah it's finite but I'm not I, I don't know if I'm thinking like more in a minority thought process when it's really not groundbreaking by any means it's rather obvious but because it's macabre perhaps people don't want to talk about it because no matter who you're talking to it could be somebody in their teens or somebody in their 70s it's a it's a real thing you know um but it also would make one, I think, be more aware of doing what they can in the moment to enjoy themselves because it's just not guaranteed that you're going to get to do it years down the road. Um, so I don't know. Gangster Pete, any thoughts? I, I realize I wander. That's all. That's questions from the audience really should just be wandering around for 90 minutes. But uh, any thoughts? I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that you should take advantage of the now because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. So... <laughs> If you got an opportunity to do something you enjoy, do it. Yeah, I just, I really, I'm, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know if I'll view this differently, because I certainly view it differently now than I did 10 years ago, and I don't view it differently 10 years from now. But I'm, that's the thing. That's why I'm comfortable with, like, yeah, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not like it's cheap to, to live down in Jupiter for a few months, but 
it, it's I have a one-year-old. He can do it. Um, I have Anna Marie's parents. They're able to do this. I have my parents. They're, they're able to do this. It's, I just realize it's not going to be around forever. And so you want to seize that opportunity. Um, but it's not, you know, it's, this isn't all about, you know, whether or not you should spend time in Jupiter, Florida. It's about just opportunity in general. You know, like I used to think like, yeah, I'll turn this TV job down. There will inevitably be another one. And there were. And I, it was great. It worked out. But fuck, was it irresponsible <laughs> looking back on it. I mean, maybe, maybe it wasn't. I, I mean, just like assuming, yeah, I'll get a, I'll get this job. You just, you know, it's just not guaranteed. Uh, I said this was going to lead into a James Carlton commercial. It did. It just took a 20-minute detour, <laughs> as it is one to do. Uh, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency at 314-961-4800 or online at carltoninsurance.net. James Carlton is who I switched to. It's who I recommend you switch to. He is online at carltoninsurance.net. I made the switch. Why? Because I didn't feel like I was getting the greatest customer service. And the one time I had to do something with James because my person wasn't around, uh, he was on it. And I'm just kind of like, there's a difference here, isn't there? And so I can tell a little anecdote. Just yesterday, uh, like I'm sure the vast majority of you do, you have a variety of insurance payments. We had an insurance payment for my wife's wedding ring. And if for whatever reason, it's either coming up or it was past due. And they reached out to me, that was uh, due, I guess, and said, hey, uh, you know, just a reminder that you owe, you know, it wasn't like a huge amount of money, but it was past due. And they reached out to let me know. And so we can take your payment over the phone just to take care. Of it. And that's what I did. It was over. It was over. That's not, you're not going to get that from everybody. And I know you might go, well, who really cares? But you need that stuff. And you need to make sure you know you're covered for the right things. You're talking about huge investments when you're talking about home, auto, life, or something as simple as jewelry. You want somebody who's paying attention with a staff that pays attention. It's James Carlton. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, call James Carlton, State Farm, 314-961-4800, online at carltoninsurance.net. Okay, I've been nothing but fan page. I, I went on with the poker question in a way that, that scares me with how long I went on that. And I have four questions that uh, are in the email. And let's see. Um, I don't know if I answered this one last week or not. Uh, I think I did, so I'm not going to embarrass myself and answer it again. I don't really care. This, this one I can answer quickly. Tim, if each of the leagues below was a stock, would you buy or sell? NFL, I'd sell. NBA, I'd buy. MLB, Ooh, I don't know. I really don't know on that one. I don't know. I do not know. I guess I would buy. just wouldn't buy much. I'm kind of anxious to see what happens here over the next three years with this CBA and where the game goes. And I just don't think it, it – I don't think it's a – I don't know if it's – it's just not – it doesn't have the global potential that the NBA and soccer uh, either do or – already has had uh nhl i suppose i'd buy but i wouldn't buy much um college football i would buy up like crazy but i think what's going on with um and it's and it would be if it were stock it would be it's it might be near its ceiling so it would be ill-advised so perhaps i need to pump the brakes on this if we're talking about thought processes and financials um but I just see its growth over the last 10 years, but it's like buying a house at the top of the market. Uh, and then how few people are playing football relative to 10 years ago at a young age. So could that impact it? Uh, college basketball, 
I think college basketball's val- value has declined so damn much that I think it's it's got value. Again, we're looking at these stocks, you know, and I'm in my mind placing values on them. Um, my interest level in it is like nil, but uh, uh, MLS. I think the MLS thing in in St. Louis is. I, listen, I want St. Louis to get an MLS team. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know. I don't know. I don't know how to because it's such a separate discussion. It, it, it just, I think it'll be. I think it'll be good, and I hope that it takes off in St. Louis as I think it certainly could and should. But you know, I mean, when we're talking about the United States and sports interests, that means that St. Louis would have. If we're going to expand it to five you know, of sports that, you know, intrigue young people, St. Louis would have the third, fourth, and fifth sports um, as far as number of young people. paying. So I'm going 18 to 45. Uh, yes, young people are all in on soccer, but are they all in on the MLS? And so I'm excited about the MLS. I guess what I'm saying is some of the way that I feel like it's talked about and I think in part it's like, okay, we need a new lover since our lover left us in the Rams. And it's like, yeah, but this one's not nearly as good looking. She certainly is going to be a hell of a lot more faithful, uh, but not nearly as good looking. So I can't, you know, I can't spin the MLS yarn as well as some others are. And, like, if St. Louis does get an MLS team and how there's just going to be this inevitable, like, you know, this is a huge win. And, yeah, it's a win, but, you know. I mean, the MLS is kind of giving out franchises. <laughs> you know, I know this is going to be unpopular, but it's just it's how I honestly feel. I, I know, you know, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's how I honestly feel. I want St. Louis to get an MLS team. Let me make that clear. It's just the MLS coming here for me is not going to replace the NFL leaving, and I can't just because it will be a win for St. Louis, and I would be shocked if St. Louis doesn't get an MLS team. Uh, shocked if St. Louis does not get an MLS team, which is why I can't like throw this party if they do get an MLS team um, approved here in the next, you know, whatever, whenever it'll be. Uh, you know, I don't know. I know it'll be unpopular, but I, I'm honest on here, and the, the team of current inside STL.com is where you can take out your frustration. Uh, let's see, EPL, buy the hell up out of that, but again, that kind of comes into... Uh, something being at its peak value, but now it's tapping into, not now, for the last few years, it's been tapping into the U.S. market. Um, I mean, that's what I would imagine within the next few years I'm going to be buying my son soccer jerseys, and uh, and I'm not. it would be great if it's St. Louis MLS team soccer jerseys, but I would imagine they will be overseas players. That is, that is something that I think uh, some of the people um, who might not have young kids just, don't aren't aware of that that is where and, and you know what this wasn't included in the email esports that's what i'd buy the fuck out of that's what i buy the fuck out of that wasn't included but that's what i buy the fuck out of buy that up all day long gangster pete do you Yo. agree with those buys and sells where would you be on this and it's going to allow me to take a bite of an rx bar and uh, a drink of a vitamin water so uh esports ahead. i would buy i mean all the all the colleges are starting to get their own teams now uh epl yeah i think that's probably a, it's I mean, I don't think, it, like, if you're talking about stock, I don't know right. if it would be a good value buy because I think the right. price is probably too high right now. But, I mean, I think that's going to be a popular sport for a long time. Uh, 
Major League Baseball, I think you might be able to get a good price right now with all the uncertainty going on with, like, the length of the game and then also the labor situation. So I would buy that just not as a value play. Uh, NBA, I'd buy the hell out of. I'd love St. Louis to get an NBA team. That would be so awesome. Uh, the MLS, I would sell. I mean, it just oh, seems wow. like a now, weird... now double the hate mail. I, th- I was going to provide you as my cover when you were going to talk about how great it I, is. I hope we get the team, but for me personally, it's not like super exciting. And now it looks like Sacramento is making a real heavy push to get our team. Could be well, like, uh, or they're using that as leverage. To yeah, get that's St. Louis also. to approve stuff that St. Louis, all their people do not want to approve. It's not, in my opinion, the toughest hand to read. But whatever. The NFL. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe Sacramento is real. I'm just like, oh, they're gonna make the uh, board of aldermen approve shit because right. they're gonna use Sacramento as the threat. I mean, this is to me ABC poker, but whatever. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, the NFL can eat shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I just, you know, it's it's tough though to sit there and go NFL sell college football buy buy buy. So right. maybe I've got to, uh, but I mean I just I think college football. Don't you think over the last twenty years? But I mean maybe it's because we're Missouri guys and Missouri's in the SEC now, and it's, but no sport of like if we're going to include the four professional, the major four professional North American professional leagues, and college football and college basketball, no sport has experienced greater growth in college football. I, would you agree with that? Am I missing something here? Uh, yeah, I mean. Maybe like EPL and all that, right? But I'm not. But I'm only including nothing. six. Oh and yeah. So I'm okay. not including EPL or MLS. Then yeah, yeah, I think so. And which one do you think has declined the most in 20 years? I feel like I've got an insta call on this, but I mean, you it might probably have to be baseball. Ooh, interesting. See, I would say college basketball. Uh, see, I think that's still pretty big everywhere else, though. I think we've just had some rough times here. Yeah, and I and I th- and I and I know they just approved the uh, 18-year-old. You know, the, uh, the the players can enter the NBA at 18, or at least I saw that being discussed. I think it was approved. Um, I I and, saw it being discussed. I'm not sure okay. if it was approved or not. I, and I want to see that because I just I, that's the thing. The one and done's just right for me. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, Missouri's sucking, but I I know this. I mean, the I, when Missouri and I was living down here in Jupiter at the time when they played Florida State last year in the NCAA tournament, and it was ten thirty. I think St. Louis time. I think it was ten thirty. Might have been eleven thirty. Either way, it was obviously super late. It was the last game of the first round, and I said to Anna Marie, I said, God, I know this is messed up. I can't. Twenty five year old me could never possibly imagine saying this. But I might go to bed. I don't know if I want to stay around and watch this. <laughs> right. You know? Well, Whereas see, when I was sitting courtside covering Missouri and Georgia in the first round in 2001, right. and Clarence Gilbert had a jumper to beat Georgia in the first round, even though Missouri was like an eight or nine seed, so they weren't going anywhere, and we were in Greensboro, North Carolina, I was I, I jumped up out of my seat in press row, which was totally frowned, frowned upon, and then... Uh, and uh, then, you know, two days later, Missouri's playing Duke, the Duke team that won the national championship with uh, Jason Williams. And yep. who was else on that team? Duon, Dunleavy, Boozer, you know. I they mean, it was like a huge. Th- What's that? They tore us apart. Yeah. Well, that Missouri got to within three, though, in the second half at one right. point because I was right next to Kareem Rush when he hit this three. And I'm like, oh, my God, they might beat Duke in, in Greensboro. And then I traveled to Glendale, Arizona, 10 years ago this year to see him play in the uh, the Elite Eight, see him beat Memphis on a Thursday night, and then they lost to UConn. That was awesome, game. Oh, yeah. But I but now it's just, it's just not there for me. I don't know. Even if they were good, I just – I don't know. So I hate it because 
for me now, the sport without having the NFL, and I just am somebody who, you know, and this is another thing, this will be hate Tim emails. Uh, I just don't get into the NHL regular season until right around this time. Uh, and now there's not college basketball for me to get excited about. I mean, I know they're playing. I just am not invested in it. It's just like there's this dearth of sports <laughs> entertainment. I mean, um, this Blues run saved my sports life. Oh, yeah. And, it's, and I'm telling you, I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life for real, especially considering, you know, I have to go out of my – it's not like I can just turn on the TV and watch the Blues play when you're living in Jupiter, Florida. So to, you know, set up my Apple TV or hook up my uh, phone, whatever the case might be, and, and be like, yeah, we can go out and it's 80 degrees tonight and everything, I really want to watch the third period of the Blues and Predators. <laughs> it's scoreless, you know. I mean, that's, right. that's – and pumping my fist. Don't get me wrong. I had money on it. But, uh, you know – it's just it's fun to watch the turn and just kind of go, God, wouldn't this be so fitting if in a year where most people weren't even paying attention at the start of the actual <laughs> calendar year, like January 1st, 2019, that that is the year that they actually do it? I let it, my uh, head go there last night for the first yeah, time. Yeah, that's the I, thing. I mean, I'm, I I'm, like, that's oh what I'm saying. Oh, my God, I wouldn't even be thinking about this a couple months ago. It's just that it's – I just, you know, it would just be – I just – I love – I mean – I don't have a bigger disparity on anything than my lack of interest in hockey's regular season and my love of hockey's postseason. I, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'll be watching games here in a month and a half of teams. I couldn't even tell you who'd be in the playoffs in the Eastern Conference, and I'll be like, can't wait to watch. Oh, sweet. Right. It's a game seven. You know, I'm all in. I love that shit. Regular season, couldn't care any less. You know, but it's the price you pay. The price you pay of hockey's postseason is that anybody can win those matchups, and an eight seed can go and win the cup. Whereas in the NBA, you have a bunch of games, just like hockey, same total, but you kind of have an idea that if you have a great regular season, you're probably going to, at the very least, wind up in either the Eastern or Western Conference Finals. And I like that. I like that. That that a regular season is rewarded. In hockey, I feel like yeah, the regular season kind of throw it out the window. But um, it it also but but it, it it's so much better in in the sense that those first round matchups and the intensity and you know by game three you can name like five dudes on the other team who you just fucking hate. <laughs> it's the I mean it is the great. It's also I'm just in a good mindset because it's starting to get warmer and you know the energy at a Blues playoff game is the absolute best. So that gets me fired up. So good question there by I think that was by. Uh, Adam, actually, with that question. All right, let's see. I know I started this. Oh, I'm, in, I'm officially 90 minutes in. Am I not? I know you're yep. looking at it, but I know I started at 11.18 Eastern, and it's 12.48 Eastern, so that's how I'm monitoring my math. Um, I will do one more, but before I do, uh, allow me to rave about PGA National. We have some people coming down here next week. The great Cletus is coming down here. Andy Hanselman, who's on the ones and twos at TMA Live, is coming down here. A father and son are coming down here, which they were laying out what courses they're going to play. And they're going to play the champion course, which is the course uh, at PGA National, which hosts the Honda Classic. So they're going to get to do that. The grandstands will still be up. They'll be up for like a month afterwards. I mean, they'll start breaking them down, but it's not like they just disappear overnight. And that makes me happy. It makes me happy when people come down here um, because they get a chance to experience this. And just you could be going to Dallas, for example, right now out of St. Louis. And there's a good chance that it's going to make you feel better than being in St. Louis. 
Why? Because you're just going to get out of the cold and gray and rainy and snowy and icy shit that goes on for as long as it does. So that's addition by subtraction. Even if it's a place like that, and I'm not shitting on Dallas. I'm just saying Dallas isn't like tropical. But if you come down here and you're playing golf and you're staying at a place like PGA National and then you're 10 minutes at the most from Roger Dean Stadium to go watch the Cardinals play, it's just therapeutically a beautiful thing. It's just a great thing. And PGA National has five golf courses. Um, it has incredible restaurants. If you're bringing your uh, significant other who might not like golf, there is a spa that is first class. It's incredibly well known. Um, my wife loves going up there, and it's, sometimes she doesn't even like get any treatments. There's just like a pool that's like this relaxing kind of uh, meditation opportunity. It's just, it's God, man. It really is. It's the, it's the best. It's, it's a PGA national, uh, resort and spa. It, plan ahead for 2020 and get down here. Uh, go online at pgaresort.com. You will be so happy you did PGA national resort and spa. All right. One more question. I said one more question. We'll do one more question. What do we got here? What do we got here? Let me see. It's baseball related so i'm going to go off of sports oh i like this one i remember getting this last week right after we got done with the show and i wanted to answer it because this is kind of like the thing that's got me going most pete and this is you and the joe rogan thing that oh yeah has kind of been a theme hello tim i am completely fascinated by conversations relative to the call out culture slash recreational outrage and the bloodlust so many have and can't wait to quench via the online mob. Maybe this comparison seems ridiculous, but in a way I can't help but to compare this phenomenon to an event like the French Revolution. I can say that because both involved hordes of people who believed they were doing away with injustice and evil through the ideas that people, not just ideas, have to be destroyed for true progress. But to me, even more interesting is the idea that once the large mob took down the enemy, they turned on each other, taking down once allies. In the Joe Rogan Experience podcast with Sam Harris, they talked a lot about how the call-out mobs turn on their own to continue what they believe is the revolution. So my question is, if one is to believe that factions of this culture will take down their own to further their cause, do you think this will stem the flow as more people observe and experience how detrimental it is to free speech and civility, or will it lead to an even more powerful and dictatorial force that puts free speech and discourse in severe danger? Thank you. That's from Kenny R. How about that question, Gangster Pete? That's a good question. That is a, uh, and then pulls the French Revolution analogy out, which is something that hadn't crossed my mind for a split second since I've <laughs> read about the French Revolution probably 20 years ago. Oh, I love it. I, I love it because I hate it, and I hate it so much that I feel like i got to talk about it because I love the idea of it ending. But the thing, the thing with regard to it is I don't know how it's going to end. It will end. It will end. It absolutely is going to end. We will talk about this time period. They, there will be documentaries on it. There might be movies, especially if it, if it ends because of a significant event. And some might say there already have been significant events. Um, but it will end. Uh, and I love the, the fact that, uh, Kenny, you point out that you now have some people inside of their respective mobs turning on each other. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> I mean, 
I want to see. I want to make sure I have one for the left, and I want to make sure I have one for the right, uh, because that's the way that I have to. I don't have to play the game, but I'm trying to play the game to make the point that the, that when I'm talking about these these mobs, I'm not talking about political at all. They, now, oftentimes they are, but it's not because I like one side over the other. I am grossed out and pissed off about both of them. Um, I don't know. I'm part of me. My what I was about to say, and I just don't know if I really, really feel this way or not. But I think I might be more irritated by the one on the left, just because the one on the left was the one that was supposed to be. Who was saying this? Might have been a Rogan thing. It might have been Sam Harris who was saying it. But I feel like I've been listening and reading so much about this stuff here recently that I'm losing track of who said it. But uh, I think it might have been, and you can confirm it, Pete, that. It may have been Sam Harris who said, you know, liberals uh, used to be, you know, know, what people think of like in the 60s and 70s, hippies, but, you know, love. That was Joe that said that. Joe said that, okay. Yeah, his parents were like. Yes, that's what it was. You're right. Hippies, peace and love and freedom of speech and, you know, you know, wanting to lift everybody up. And now, and that, so I, yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, this is guy arriving at his opinion while broadcasting. Always wonderful. But, uh I think I think it kind of bothers me more because the lack of awareness of it again and of course we're talking about but it's not like we're talking about just like 20 people I mean this is a healthy amount of people on both sides doing this shit um, and I'm sure most of you know it you know it's like you can picture it you can picture the dog avatars or the flags or the scripture reading and like you're this person just tweeted like the most mean-spirited evil shit and then you go on their profile and it's like you know, Philippians chapter one. It's like, oh, you, yeah, um, you know, or you know, somebody wanting, you know, to be part of the resistance to fight the evil that is Donald Trump, all while just saying some of the most evil shit. And you're going, what? How do you not see what you're doing? And I don't understand it. But I guess what what Kenny's saying here, and I suppose it's what Rogan and Sam Harris were saying is that it's not about right or wrong anymore. It's about team. And so if you're doing something wrong that helps your team, or if you're doing something wrong that hurts the other team, then therefore it is right. And I can't wrap my head around that. And it really bothers me. It bothers me so much that, as I said, I think it was in the questions from the audience two weeks ago, that I'm like, I'm teetering on the brink of getting into, and I wouldn't be getting into a side because I don't like either side, but that's the thing. Then it puts me as a perfect target because now I'll have nobody standing up for me and I'm just like kind of blowing in the wind and plus I'm just some fucking random radio host in in the 21st market in the country, so it's not like I got to, you know. But, you know, in a way, I kind of like when I talk politics on TMA, it's certainly more on TMA than on the podcast. And by that, I just mean because the, the response is instantaneous in the text inbox. And with the podcast, it takes people to have to send an email. And certainly we get them, uh, and I get a good amount of them. Certainly been getting a lot more of them uh, with the growth of questions from the audience. But when we're having the political discussions on TMA, it's – it's. do you have the text inbox back there, Gangster Pete, when, you're, when we're – when you're in your control room and we're doing the show? No, the only time I ever see is when I sit next to the cat. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I can see the live. And when Doug's on one of his tangents, at this point now, I would say it's probably about 75% against him. 
Um, but there's still, there'll be 25% are like, Doug is so right. As always, Doug's right. Uh, and so it kind of lines up. What I like when those discussions come up, and a lot of times I don't like them, um, and, I, and I'll explain here. I mean, you're getting a lot if you, if you listen through this whole thing, but my God, how many people listen through all two hours of this stuff? But uh, my reason for not getting, if I get in there and start, like for example, Here's an example. Here's a wonderful example. At least I think it's a wonderful example. Patting myself on the back. Last week, and I don't even know how the topic came up on TMA, uh, Doug talked about, Doug was talking, we were all talking, but Doug talked about how CNN um, has built a business out of no matter what Donald Trump does, they are going to attack it. And, And I don't necessarily disagree with that opinion. But then I said to Doug, I said, I think that's a fair point. I said, however, what do you think of what Fox News did from 2009 through 2017 with regard to Barack Obama? And he goes, well, I don't think they did that. And, I'm, and I just let that breathe. I just said, okay. Now, some people said, Tim, how come you didn't jump on that? Well, what do I, that, and, that, and that's where I differ. And that's not to say I'm right or wrong, okay? But that's where I differ as a host. Because with Doug's answer right there, what else do you need? You got, you, you got everything there. I, I, I cross-examined. It was delicately. And there's the answer. And for a lot of people, they had to have gone, holy shit. You know, not, not that they were necessarily surprised per se. I, I, I have to say, I was, I was surprised. I'm surprised that he really doesn't, doesn't, didn't see that. But he didn't see it. Okay. I mean, Doug and I obviously have different uh, political philosophies. But, you know, the thing that Doug gets labeled is just hardcore, hardcore Republican. Doug is not in lockstep with the Republican Party on everything. He's not in lockstep with the Republican Party on guns. He's not in lockstep with the Republican Party platform on uh, the environment. Um, but certainly, Doug and I have different views. The cat and I have different views. We all have different views on the show. Uh, and I think it's fine also. But some pe- we're so, I think, programmed to when somebody leaves an opening in a debate that then it's predictable what's going to happen. The person on the other side of the debate then takes it and then pounces on that and then just starts beating the hell out of the person who just said something that was an obvious either double standard or a misstep, and then that becomes the focus. Well, that's not what the purpose of the conversation was. That's not what the purpose of the conversation was. So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking to ever, anybody, whether it be one of the five guys I work with on a daily basis from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. on TMA, or a guest who I disagree with, pounce on them and beat them up. That's not what I do. But it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, something people were like. Why didn't you jump on that? And I'm like, well, I, what, 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 what was, what, were, what do you think is going to happen? I was going to change his mind. That's that's what he thinks. I totally disagree. I I I think he arrived there uh, with something that you know I would completely disagree with, and I don't think I'm going to present with anything that that's going to change mind. I'm not, it, here, here, there's your witness. You know, that's kind of how I felt. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you don't think that that happened from 2009 to 2017 on Fox News? Okay. And I'm not saying this to like mock him at all. I'm saying, I'm pointing out my style of handling these kinds of discussions and then pointing out what I think goes on that makes people choose sides. Because they see, like, if I, and that's, the, that's, that's one of the reasons why I handle it the way I handle it. If I start yelling and screaming about something, 
what will be focused on is the fact that I'm yelling and screaming and not what I'm actually saying. And I'm so careful about that. Um, and some people might disagree with it. I know it would be, I know it would get more attention if I yell and scream, but I don't believe it's necessarily in the best interests of the greater good to do so. And so I don't want to do it. it. Might make me more money if I yell and scream, but I but it's not how I feel. I don't yell and scream. Um, I mean, don't not to, say, not to say I've not yelled and screamed. I yell and scream. I just don't yell. I grew up with a lot of yelling and screaming. But I think I have an aversion to yelling and screaming now. That's not to say I don't get pissed off, but I just handle it in a different way. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. Maybe it's internalized. Maybe it'd be better if I did. But I see these things, and it's just so dangerous now because if you if you step out of line, so to speak. I mean, you can be labeled a racist and have your career destroyed, you know? And it's just like, wow, man, this is fucked up. It's like, don't worry about what the person did with his or her actions for however many years. Let's focus on this tweet and just go, how'd this happen? I mean, we're, I'm telling you, and I don't know when it's going to be. I believe my son, for example, will read... I'll call them books, but whatever they will call it in, in 15, 16 years of this era, and perhaps the final chapter, the September 11th, the Pearl Harbor of the whole thing, there will be an event. I think it will take an event that will end it. And I don't know what that event will be, but something will end. I don't think that, I don't think this is the new norm. I think it's the new normal for now, but I don't think it is permanent. Maybe I'm saying that because I'm hopeful, but I just, I can't. Now there's more of an awareness. It's like when, I, when we had a discussion this morning on TMA about St. Louis and Doug, which was, I, I didn't, were you surprised by that, Gangster Pete? Another, uh, what's the I'm question? talking about like how when we talk about baseball free agents and I was saying, I just don't know if free agents are going to come and live in St. Louis anymore. We are so behind all these cities. And I'm like, wow, Doug. I mean, not, not that I wasn't aware that he kind of felt that way, but. I didn't know he was going to yeah, take it. Yeah, I was a little. I mean, I was a little taken aback. I mean, I totally agree that we're falling behind and that there's a lot of things we need to change to do better. But there are a lot of cool things here too. But right, which yeah, is why in I comparison say I would buy, to other cities, yeah, I'd buy stock in St. Louis. Right, but again, part of it's a, a value. Part of part of it right now, the value couldn't be any lower, and so you could you could capitalize on that Agreed. if these were stocks. But I also think it'll move in the right direction. Will it ever reach what it was like when the World's Fair was in St. Louis in 1904? Probably not. But what I said was, and what I will continue to say is, um, similar to now there being an awareness of what is going on with these uh, call-out cultures on take your side right or left, uh, that it's a problem in St. Louis. Now there is an acknowledgement that there are problems, even though the problems have been around for a long time. The acknowledgement of the fact that there are problems uh, creates the climate conducive to tending to the problems. And so from that standpoint, uh, therefore, I believe problems will start to get solved. If Ferguson does not happen, if the Rams are still in St. Louis, and I think the vast majority of you listening would prefer that Ferguson didn't happen and prefer that the Rams are still in St. Louis, uh, would there even be a legitimate discussion as there is right now regarding merging the city and county. Now, you might not like the plan that's on the table, or you might just be completely against it, but I believe it's those negatives that led to P. 
people coming to the table and saying, we have to have a conversation. Everything isn't great. Now, for people who've been traveling around the country, you know, you've seen it. You, you knew. But the reality is, and you can't like shit on people who don't get the chance to travel around the country. Go, you fucking people have no idea. It's just the reality that for the vast majority of the population in St. Louis, we grew up here. We live our lives here. And if you don't have a job that requires travel or you don't have the, the good luck to be able to, to travel to the, the coasts and Denver and take your pick of other places, you don't have a whole lot to compare and contrast it to. Chicago's always been what Chicago is. It's the number three market in the country. I think now for a lot of people who do travel to Kansas City, you might be noticing that that's making a move and has been making a move. But I had no idea. I mean, I, I hadn't been in a plane until I was 21 years old. That's fucked up, but I hadn't. And, uh, and I hadn't seen New York City until I was 23 years old. And I remember one of my buddies, and I was like, kind of like, like offended by it. And this guy's like the greatest guy ever, too. He, the, the, of all my compadres, uh, and they're alive who I would be on board with, running for office, this is the person who I think the, the highest of. And he spent a lot of time living internationally and, you know, not living in St. Louis. And he said, you know, people in St. Louis just don't have, and this is before I had been to New York, I just don't have any idea, like, how small St. Louis is. I'm just like, oh, you think you're, I, I got into the thing that now I call out, you know. Oh, you think you're so great because you got to live internationally and you've lived in New York and you've spent time in California. And then the first time I, I remember flying toward whatever airport, I think we flew into Newark the first time I was ever in New York City. And you're flying over that skyline and you're like, oh, there's 500 St. Louises on that <laughs> island. Holy shit. You know, uh, it puts it in some form of perspective. You know, it's like the Anheuser-Busch book where they, they said the line of the executives at AB thought that the sun rose over the Mississippi River and it set over I-270 and just didn't have an understanding that this was a global game now. Um, but it changed perspective. Once some negative things happen, people go, OK, we got problems here. That's good. It sucks that we had the things happen. But OK, the byproduct is people are acknowledging uh, and then there's this thing like it's a sport to shit on St. Louis and St. Louis's biggest problem is self-deprecation. Okay, fine. You know, that's fine. And it, but it's a real thing. What are we saying? It's not real? But I love it. And Doug loves it too. That's the thing. I mean, Doug Doug could have gone elsewhere. I could have gone elsewhere. We both chose to come to St. Louis and stay in St. Louis. But there's this thing like, "Oh, you're shitting on St. Louis. Fuck you." Well, it's not it's, it's like we're going to have problems. Now, I don't, I didn't share Doug's opinion, by the way, the whole thing that started it was, you know, what if Bryce Harper just said, I'm not going to live in St. Louis? I don't believe that that's the case, but I guess neither one of us know. Um, but either way, that's how the discussion got going. So regarding this question with call-out culture and social media, my thought process is now it's still probably on the periphery, but people are starting to go, hold on a second, this is fucked up. People are losing their jobs or people are being attacked for this? This is, this is fucked up. And, and some people are like, yeah, I know it's fucked up, but I don't care. I hate Donald Trump that much, so I am going to do whatever it takes. Or, oh, well, you know, yeah, I know he did this in 1984. You know, I know he tweeted this seven years ago. I know she said this in a private conversation, but it just exposes how horrible of a person they are. So fuck it. They're going down. The Kathy Griffin phenomenon of somebody who was taken out uh, and then now now wanting to dox the, the Covington students, you know, that's that's that, that to me, that, that that might be my that might be my opening chapter 
of wow, this is somebody who experienced it, and then now is now 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 dishing it out. It's like wow, that that that's 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 at another level. So my theory is something major will happen in. And, and I have no idea what to predict it would be, but just like major where everybody knows what it is and you'll know where you were when you heard about it. That'll have to do with this stuff. And that will be the beginning, perhaps, of some kind of regulation on it. And people actually being or people turn against the mobs. Where it's no longer praised to call out somebody with a quote retweet and get a bunch of people to like your tweets. Oh, you're taking a stand against racism. Ballsy. Good for you. Fuck. What a mess. You know. I but I don't know. I don't know what the, I mean, I think it's a, it's a perfect storm of a combination of so many things that led to this and it all happened here within all the last decade, all these things have happened, or I guess 11 years, because I think you got to go back to November 2008 um, for for a portion of it, uh, and then certainly November 2016 for another portion of it, and Twitter's dominance over the last decade, and cable news, and feeding to their respective bubbles, and, you know, it's just... It's, it's just, it's, ah, I used to say, and I still say it, but now I actually think I might think it more, like think it's really going to happen more on, on, on the radio. I'd say, yeah, I know I'm just telling you, a lot of you listening to this love this show. And obviously we love that you love this show, but I'm telling you, here is how the show is going to end. The show is going to end not because, you know, somebody retires, uh, but the show is going to end because. Uh, something is going to get taken out of context. It's going to make its way around um, social media, and whoever said it uh, is is going to be taken out. And then the, that the social media group will then pressure advertisers to not support the show. And then whichever radio station we're on will have to will say, "Oh, that's cause," and we're going to get rid of you guys. And then no other radio station will be comfortable hiring us, at least for a period of time. Usually, there's like a year time limit or something on that type of stuff, and that's that's how it'll that's how it'll end. Um, or me as an individual, I'll be taken out. Whatever it is, you know. And I and I kind of said it in a way that was somewhat. Yeah, I think this is going to happen. It was almost like I'll vocalize it because maybe that way it won't happen type of thing. But now I'm like, oh fuck, this is going to happen. It's just like when. Like, I see it now. I mean, you know, I see it on social media now, now, even like on the fan page where supposedly it's fans of the show. It's, it's you know, it, you just you just see it. And you kind of go, fuck. This is this is it. And there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, I, I guess you can individually just unplug from it and not have accounts and not look at it. But part of what we do is reaching people and communicating with people through social media. So it's, you know, it's not really an option. So, I don't know, man. I just, I, like I said, it's going to happen. I don't know. It could happen within the next week. It might be a few years, but it's going to happen. And, and then people go, oh, my God, I can't believe that this shit used to go on. How about what went on from 2000, whatever date you want to start, through 2000, whenever it comes to an end, that this used to go on. And people will look at it and go, oh, my God. Let me tell you th- this story about 
you know, take your pick of whichever one. It's almost tough to remember because there's like a new one every week. But it's, you know, I I really do believe that it will come to an end. And I I, don't get me wrong. I know a lot of it is hope that it will come to an end, but I really do believe it will come to an end. And again, part of it is because I think that people are now becoming more aware of how fucked up it is. And, uh, you know, that it's just that it's just actually it's, it's wrong. And um, and I think there's I think some people well I, I can if the president can do it I can do it okay you know but I think a lot of people are just going this has gotten to a point now and I don't know what the solution is you know I know Jack Dorsey's been doing the tours on Bill Simmons and on Joe Rogan I don't know what the solution is to it but I th- but that's the thing I don't think that the, that Twitter is going to solve itself or Facebook's going to solve itself I think it's going to have to come in. And from a regulation standpoint or from the public because something so traumatic happened that will be tied to Facebook or Twitter or whatever new platform it would be that could be the new thing, uh, that at that point there will be some kind of going, okay, this has gotten, this has gone way too far. I mean, it already has gone way too far, but there's just, it's kind of become a norm. And so I, I think people don't, like I said, man, you, you, somebody said something awful. Take your pick of whatever it was, you know, and it, it might not have even been that awful, but it was made out to be the worst fucking thing in the world. And, you know, it's like, I don't know who said it, Pete, it, it was Sam Harris or Joe Rogan. It's like liberals pride themselves on a path to redemption for criminals coming out of jail right. who have actually committed felonies. <laughs> and they pride themselves on allowing them to have rehab in getting back into mainstream society, Don't but at the same time, <laughs> but at the same time, liberals cannot possibly accept somebody who who said something on Twitter that didn't jive <laughs> with the uh, with the particular views of said liberal. And and I'm like, wow, you know what? That's true. It's so fucked up. But it, it's and it's like and you, and you just go yeah and then and so that's that's that there's the one person who did say the horrible thing but then there's like the million people under it in the comments who are like lighting this person up talking about how horrible a person they are like why don't you go kill yourself go fuck yourself you're a horrible person your mom should regret ever giving birth I mean you're just like whoa like how come that person also isn't exposed to penalties for the shit they say how come it's only the public figure I don't get it I don't even can explain it either it's just it's what's considered the norm. It's fucked up. I will tell you this, and I've been told that this is actually illegal. It doesn't matter because I'm not hiring people anymore anyway. But I'm telling you, for me, if I see somebody's social media behavior and I'm like, oh, this person's got this trait that I already know is a problem, I'm out. I'm out. I am out. There's no way I'm hiring the person. This, somebody could say, this is the best per- salesperson you could ever hire. And then I read something on social media where they're like lighting people up and part of the mob and just and just like that's it. I don't want anything like I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with it. I'm not talking about like somebody going, I love Donald Trump and I personally me myself, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I will not be voting for Donald Trump in 2020. I already can tell you that with certainty. But my god, I'm virtually certain my parents and my in-laws voted for him. I have no idea. I'd certainly bet the farm. Hello, I don't even know maybe some of my I don't know, family members uh, outside of my parents did. I have no idea. So it's, that's, I'm not talking about, oof, they voted for Donald Trump. They're out. That's not what I'm talking I'm talking about conduct. And this conduct could be from somebody who voted for. I don't even give a shit who they voted for. It's the conduct. So it's just, it's kind of been accepted 
And it's not, it's like, wow, this you're starting shipping. Like I said, I brought up on the, the, the fan page. Like, there's this behavior there. It's And you go, wow, man, you don't see... I'm like, I mean, I, you have to know what you're doing, don't you? I mean, and you don't think we see what you, you know, you're doing? And I, just, I don't get it. And it's just like, it's so, it's so off the tracks that I... I don't know. But like I said, you can't tune it out when you do what we do for a living. I mean, like if you're a doctor or, you know, and, you know, take your pick of some kind of profession where, you know, I don't know, you don't need to be on there. I envy that. Oh, I envy that. I envy that in a major way. Um, but yeah, it's septic. And sometimes I'll go down these rabbit holes and I'm like, you know, like the STL Today comments, if I'm ever on a high, <laughs> let me, let me find a Dexter Fowler story and read the comment section and just settle in and I'll be like, all right, that was, that was the fucking worst thing that I could have possibly done. Now I'm in equilibrium here. Now I'm, now I've been taken down from a manic state and I'm in a better spot. Um, so anyway, I, I, Kenny, the French revolution analogy, how do you do? Wasn't expecting that on today's questions from the audience, but we got one. And now with that, I started at 1118 Eastern. It is now 118 Eastern and I got to cap it at, uh, at two, two hours. Um, I love questions from the audience. I love rambling. I certainly ramble. Gangster Pete, thank you for uh, at least feigning like you were paying attention throughout the 120 minutes of of uh, rambling on today's questions from the audience. Sir. I enjoyed the talk. Oh, did you? Well, I mean, it wasn't much of a talk. I mean, you were you were maybe involved in one percent of it, and it's just me talking to myself. I had some inner, a, inner dialogue going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, wow, I work with this guy who clearly is out of his fucking mind. He's having a conversation by himself in a home by himself. And and I think we only got to like five or four or five questions and it filled two hours. But I don't know. I like doing it. I'm, I'm thrilled that people are responding to it. It's great. Um, I, I'm kind of surprised by that. <laughs> but if it, if it works... Great, and I appreciate the questions. Any questions you might have, T. McKernan at InsideSTL.com. T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. I, I challenge you to send something in and uh, and hoping that it'll, it'll be just you know, enough to piss me off, but that it has a chance of getting on the air just gross enough or sexual enough or whatever enough that you think I'm, you might be pushing the limits and I won't answer it. Uh, but, but... Uh, I, I am all for uh, you asking whatever question you uh, want to ask. It's a free-for-all. That's, that's, what, that's what the name of uh, the game is for me on questions from the audience. All right, all of our sponsors who make this thing possible, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, Mark Hanna of Evergreen Wealth Strategies, James Carlton of the Carlton State Farm Insurance Agency, Design Air Heating and Cooling, Mike Judy Presents at MikeJudyPresents.com, PGA National Resort and Spa, and Johnny Landoff Chevrolet, thank you so much for making the program possible. Your questions, send them in. Team McKernan at InsideSTL.com. This has been another edition of Questions from the Audience on the InsideSTL Podcast Network from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios.